HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Michelle Bichelia, wine director at Blue Hill in New York City. We'll talk about what to drink with farm-to-table food. We'll talk about sustainable food and wine and a lot more. We'll also taste an Italian white for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right, Michelle Bichelia worked her way up through the New York restaurant scene and also got her hands dirty working the harvest in Burgundy and Piedmont. She now oversees the wine program at one of the true farm-to-table restaurants in the U.S. at Dan Barber's award-winning Blue Hill in New York City down in Greenwich Village. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on here. Yeah. I want you to give our audience a little context and tell us about your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are now, which is the wine director at Blue Hill. Now, you don't have to tell me what color pajamas you wore and you had a mean aunt. Yeah. I wouldn't remember that anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Wine kind of started in my life later than I think most people possibly in the industry. Um, I didn't really grow up with wine. I grew up just out of just outside of Atlantic City in South Jersey. Um, you know, my parents drank like boxed wine and Coors Light, and and that was that. So I never really had 
been introduced to any sort of fine wine until later, um, till probably late college and then after college. So I went to college in Philly. I was pre-med, early acceptance into medical school. Um, so you got in. And then, yeah. Oh, boy. And Your then, parents must be pissed. They're not anymore. Not anymore. Time of, okay. for sure. Um, so, you know, right, right before I was about to enter my first year, I kind of took a step back and said, you know, I don't really know. I'm not 100,000% into this. I think I'm going to take some time off and travel a little bit. Um, so I had uh, double majored in Spanish along with the, the pre-med major and decided to go to South America and travel around came back and was like, ah, I don't really think I'm going to, I'm going to stick with med school. I'm going to take maybe a year off and figure it out. My sister was living in New York at the time. So just as a bookend, what mm-hmm. year was this? 2008. Eight. Okay. So 2008. we're working from eight up. Eight Go up. Ahead. Yeah. So came to New York and walked into like an open call interview for waiters at Pastis. Um, and got hired and literally like put on a uniform and started working like that hour. I think if I remember correctly, they were that desperate. So um, their wine program there at the time was run by Chris Goodhart, who was an incredible wine director, very humble, very knowledgeable, but really made wine very approachable. Um, and he would do these really incredible staff wine tastings where it would open up bottles that were like $1,000, $2,000 on the wine list. That was on the list of pistis? Yeah, yeah. Old Chave, Old Burgundy, Old Loire, things like that. And I was like, whoa. And did he explain Yeah, he ex- sort of the... Heaviness yeah. of this is not an ordinary bottle of wine. Definitely. Okay. So you, you stepped up. You took kind of the basic intro intro courses with him as a waiter there. Um, you were required to. And then he had kind of the voluntary ones for things like that, believe it or not. Right. And they weren't always full, which is crazy. Um, but after tasting those old wines, I was kind of taken aback like, whoa, I can't believe that this beverage exists, that things can taste like this, things can age like this. Um, I want to learn about why this is happening, how this is happening, and what's happening. Wow. So I approached him and said, hey, can I kind of work with you, just taste with you, figure out kind of what you're doing? And he was like, absolutely, let's do it. So it kind of became his cellarat, tasted with him. Um, and then, yeah, after that I said, you know, I really want to go and, and work in France and, and see what this is about. And um, he was like, yeah, you should go, you should go to Burgundy. Don't go anywhere else but Burgundy. And I said, okay. So I emailed anyone I'd ever met. And that past that past kind of like six months when I was working with harvest. him, yeah, and almost everybody said no, and then one guy said yes, and it was the the guy who I ended up working for. His name is Blair Pethel. He's an American guy, um, and his winery is called Domaine du Blair, and he's in Savigny le Bon. So he at some point moved there. Yeah, he moved. He had or? moved there maybe about ten years before. He was a political journalist in D.C. Wow. Wanted, wanted to change his life. So instead yeah, instead of going to Napa, he went to Burgundy. He went to Burgundy, and yeah, and and became respected in Burgundy, like worked for a lot of the people around and, you know, he was very liked in Burgundy, which I think is probably pretty hard to do yeah. coming from, coming from the outside. So I worked with him, 09, um, in 2010, Wasn't two harvests in a row. Great vintage? They were both great and right. very different. So 2009, 2010 in Burgundy, um, it was amazing to see the drastic difference in, in fruit, but also in kind of like what you have to do. You really? For wine, like got to firsthand yeah. see and experience. I mean, in 2009, I remember we made we made a rosé for like the house wine out of Premier Cru Volnay for us to just drink, you know. <laughs> nice. And in 2010, that definitely didn't happen. We were still drinking the previous year's rosé; that so much was left over. Um, so I came back from from Burgundy in now. When you were there, you did everything. <clears throat> everything. Anything you, you, I'm sure you volunteered everything. Everything, yeah. I mean, I wanted to see 
every aspect and every side. I, I went a little bit early and a little bit and stayed a little bit later right. than Harvest. So I was there for more than just like a month. I think I was there for a total of three months each each year. Did you enjoy it or it became it. you know tough? Not at all. I loved it. You loved it. I loved I loved every every part about it. Um, and I loved how much wine we got to taste and how much you got to learn by being in that in that place and kind of seeing Burgundy firsthand. It's like nothing else in the world. Uh, so I came back to New York and said, okay, I think I'm going to keep wine in my life is what I want to do. I want to make this my career. But I didn't really know that much about service. So I was like, okay, I want to work at a Michelin three-star restaurant. I want to work at Danielle. So I applied to Danielle, and they were like, you don't have any wine experience, so you'll be a back waiter. Here's a polishing rag, polish glasses for 10 hours a day. And I was like, okay. So I did that for a was few months. Was that actually at Danielle or one of the other restaurants? That was at Danielle. It was. At Restaurant Danielle. So I got to meet the wine team there, kind of be, made sure I like, befriended them all a little bit, you know, to kind of get my, get my they, name in the game. Are they gracious? Are they They were extremely insular? gracious. They, they took you in if you showed an interest? Extremely. Okay. Yeah, extremely. Um, and, you know, the, the general manager there really helped me, too, because he was, like, very excited about my enthusiasm. Um, so that worked well. And then Balud Sud opened, and then I got offered to open Balud Sud as an opening sommelier. So then that's how I got kind of my foot in the door and then worked there for a few years. Was was Barbalude there mm-hmm. too? Yeah. Yep. So they were, were you doing both? I was doing both. Right. I was doing both, um, kind of back and forth. But I worked at, at Balud Sued with Michael Madrigal and Levy Dalton. So it was the three of us. So it was pretty like... Levy left first? Levy left first. And yeah. then Michael hung on for years. Yeah, Michael hung on for right. a longer time because he went over from, from Barbalude. So right. I got to work with incredible people, taste incredible wines... Um, and, and, you know, really kind of develop my, my palate and I think like my style as far as wine. And then I left there and went to Italy for a summer, um, and worked in the vineyards. It wasn't harvest. It was like the vineyard work of the summer. So it was pretty like trimming. Yeah. It was canopies. Exactly. Um, but again, being there firsthand, seeing those, those vineyards of Barolo and kind of driving through Saralunga, it's like, oh, okay. Everything clicks and makes sense. And then I came back to New York. Why did you pick? Uh, Piedmont. Did you have an affinity for Barolo? Or Big time. Just... Yeah. I think any Burgundy lover, you're, if you're going to go anywhere in Italy, it's going to be right. Piedmont, right? I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, that's what I hope you were going to Yeah, say. it was a natural <laughs> a natural kind of uh, transition over there. Um, and then... So this was as you were working at Barbalu? I left. Or? You left. Okay. I left there. Yeah. I left. Um, and so you said, let me do another I said, let uh, me just, trip abroad. Yeah. Yeah. I figured, let me do it now. Get it out of the way. Um, you know, continued to learn, and Burgundy was such an eye-opening and mesmerizing experience. I wanted to do kind of the same thing in, in Italy. Right. Also kind of practice the language a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it was incredible. And then I came back in, in the fall, I think it was 2011, maybe later? No. No, it was 11. Yeah, 11. started at Blue yeah. Hill in 12. Right. Came back, so, so no, it must have been 12, because I started Blue Hill as soon as I came back. Right. I came back, and actually one of the first managers of Blue Hill used to be the general manager of Bluetsuit. So he ah. called me and said, I heard you're back. Blue Hill's looking for a wine director. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. Wine so, director, not even a psalm. There, no, there's, there's only one wine person. person and they're it. the director. Okay. And that's it. So Good break. Yeah. So, so you took the job there in 2012. Mm-hmm. And you knew what you were getting into? I mean, interesting, different chef, restaurant menu? Yes and no. I mean... Part of the interview process there is going up to Stone Barns, having a dinner up there, meeting the entire team. It's a very tight family. So when you go up there and you interview, you interview with like 
20 people. Like all of the chefs come and talk to you. All of the managers of both restaurants talk to you. The president, the two owners, the sous chef, everybody just to kind of like get a feel for does it feel right? Very much about gut feeling. Did it go well in your mind? Yeah. And it, did it feel well on your end? Yeah, it felt great. I, you didn't I, feel like these guys don't get me, or it was no. It they worked. were yeah. They they all kind of had a genuine interest in what I was saying, and it felt it felt pretty good when I was chatting with them with them all pretty much. How so. long was the process? Um, a few weeks. Well, few it was. I think it's something that normally would take a few weeks, but they were pretty last minute as far as they had to move fast. So, um, yeah, I just kind of went for it hard. Yeah, it was good. So now is that, I wouldn't say the job of your dreams, but that's what you wanted to be doing at that point, right? Definitely. I think as far as wine, if you're interested in food, wine and agriculture, it's got to be the best job in New York. How much did you know about Blue Hill? I mean, you knew they had that whole yeah. Dan Barber was leading that whole drive. Yeah, I knew I knew that he was, you know, on on the forefront as far as the farm to table movement. I didn't quite realize how in right. depth he was and how involved he was way way more beyond just farm to table, you know, right. but um I learned a lot in my first year. So I want to a little later in the interview. Mm-hmm. We'll come back and okay. you know, we'll cover Blue Hill thoroughly, but I want to mm-hmm. run through a few things with you before sure. we get to that. Um I've had a lot of women psalms on the show. Okay. And sometimes I ask women psalms if now in the industry you're more accepted and the path is easier. Because I had Pascaline LePeltier. Mm-hmm. She said in Europe it was terrible. Sure. She got here, it was better, and New York's better than most places. But is there still anything going on or you don't feel it as, as mean, far as being a woman sommelier? I don't I don't feel it that often. There's there's definitely sometimes like the boys clubs who just like want to hang out and drink a ton of wine and they don't really they don't really like want women around, you know? I don't know, maybe like their girlfriends get jealous if there's like a woman around there drinking wine. Who knows what it is, but I don't really care. You know, I I love what I do um and I have a ton of friends, both male and female, throughout the industry, throughout the business, and I think everyone respects each other and everyone supports each other, and that's all that you really need. So it's, I think in New York it's less of an issue. It, I think it is. I mean, no obviously one... they came after you for the job, and the process happened quickly, and yeah. you know, it's the best person. Forget about guy, woman, or all I, of that. I think so. I think most, most people nowadays think like that. You occasionally get, you know, you're like old school business guy in the restaurant who's like, you're the sommelier? Well, I was going to you know, ask you that. So that's the industry. Yeah. The customer. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I am. What do you want to know? And then, you know, you just get them to trust you within do that one second. Do they ever persist? No. I've never had them persist. Never. I, I think the vibe of the restaurant, too, is a little mellower. Definitely. You know, there are some other restaurants that are a lot um, stiff, more stiff. What about, do you feel the same way with women in winemaking? I mean, have women made strides in winemaking? Do you think it's still difficult? Um, I think I think they have. I mean, I think, like, the Munierage of Borg sisters, like, everyone respects and loves them. Or Are they I, running the winery now? Yeah, the winery three of them are now. running the winery. You know, and from, it, it's an old winery, but mm-hmm. same thing with Antonori in a way, right? The daughters? Yeah, yeah. Um, Gaia in Italy, the, right? The daughter, daughter, she's representing the winery. Maggie Harrison from Antica Terra in, in Willamette Valley, she's doing incredible things and very well respected. I think, yeah, they're they're kind of in the in the playing field and it's pretty leveling out pretty pretty nicely. So I guess I wouldn't say it's a turning point, but 
the issues are not, you know, major anymore. I, hopefully it's a little behind us. The percentages yeah. are still low, low, but I think... But it's rising. Yeah, and it's I rising. think you inspire other women. I, I think hope the so. the other women in the business. I hope so, because it's, you know, you just figure out what you want to do and then just do it, no matter who or what you are. Right, you know? so. right. It's nice to hear that. Yeah. Um, because every now and then somebody really bitches pretty hard about it. But no, that's, I, feel, that, I feel good. That, I, yeah. That's becoming less and less. All right, I want to ask you some stuff about wine. As summer approaches, mm-hmm. I've noticed something more recently than in the past. <laughs> canned wine spritzers. I was just talking canned about wine. it yesterday. What's going on? And it's, it, <laughs> there's a whole separate issue of sommeliers <laughs> making wine. I had Patrick Cappiello on. He came in with 40 his 40 ounce. Ounce. Sure. But what's going on with wine spritzers and, you know, even some higher quality can? What's your take I on that? I think it's like just going back to simplicity, like keeping it easy, keeping it fresh, something that's just like pop and pour. You know, I think with the inaccessibility of some of the higher end wines these days, it's kind of nice to go back to like the 40 ounce Muscadet right. or... Yeah, I mean, I saw but someone else... the quality else, on that is good. Yeah, it's you know, pretty good. You know, he's sourcing... And I guess the spritzer thing, you're sitting on a beach, you want to get a little buzz, yeah. you're not going to bring a bottle of wine. Yeah. You know, it, it's pretty delicious. Um, Easy to carry around. Not the type of stuff, stuff you serve in the restaurant. No, right? I don't have any of that stuff in the restaurant. I mean, maybe at like, I don't know, a simple bistro place. Why not? You yeah. Can, you can go to Chelsea Market. In, oh, uh, I could see it, you, you know, know, in a lot of places. Go to Lobster Place and get a glass of that 40-ounce muscadet. Now, have you... <laughs> Drank, tasted some yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, I've had the Ramona Spritz. Which I've is had Jordan the, yeah. Salcedo. And it's delicious. It's, it's delicious. Yeah. Who knew? It's Easy, like, like throwback patio pounder. It's good. Great. Yeah. Um, all right. Tell me about these. So that that's sort of a trend. Yeah, it is. You know, that didn't happen years ago. It's happening now. We'll see next year, or the year yeah. after, if there's ten more guys yeah. or levels. It's up. fun. It's like a little hipstery, but I, you know, yeah. I dig it. If it's delicious, why not? I think it has traction because the people behind it are passionate about it. Yeah, and respected and, people, and they get out there. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're respected. Yeah. Um, tell me about any other trends or happenings in wine or regions you know um, even if you look at the four years you've been at blue hill yeah. i mean I, i'm sure the list has shifted things have changed you've paid sure. attention i mean what's at the top of the list on? i mean i think just th- things for me wines that stand out for me a little bit more nowadays are wines that are a little bit more rare harder to find um, but still example. very approachable. I don't Does know, that so, mean expensive? No, or? It, inex- approachable and inexpensive. So what, what? Good value. So like, for example, um, you know, we have a wine on the wine list from Crete, but it's got age on it. It's 1999 vintage. Crete is an island of Greece? Yes. So it's yeah. a Greek wine. Greek wine. Um, and Somebody it, forget about it or they intentionally age no, it? No, they intentionally age it. Um, and it's a, it's a white or a red. They make both. I like the red. It's an indigenous grape varietal to that region called Liatico. But the winemaker did his homework and worked at places. I think he worked at Chateau Margaux in Bordeaux for a little bit. He worked at I want to say like Scavino in Barolo, and then came back to his homeland of Crete and decided to make this wine right, that so had ageability. Let's drop a little knowledge. The uh-huh. name of the wine is Domaine Economu. Spell. Uh, E-C-O-N-O-M-O-U. 
and that's from the island of Crete. Island of Crete. And they make a white and a red. Yeah. Forget the grape. Yeah. And you can find that wine with some age on the bottle. Yep. And what are we talking if you had to do your like wholesale to retail probably, ballpark? Probably like 60 bucks. And it's a total, nobody's drinking this, totally interesting. Totally interesting, and it tastes like old Nebbiolo. Really? Yeah. It has it's, that characteristic. It's, that's how I sell it in the restaurant, and I've, I've never had an issue. Because I'm the type of guy who walks in and says, give me the funkiest, most yeah. reasonable thing you have. I get Canary Island yeah, wines sure. and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, I would love to drink something But people like branching that. out, I think it, it makes sense because you can find you can still find value in those wines, and they're, they're great, and they're from a great producer, generally very true to terroir, and that's what you right. want in a wine, right? So. Give me another trend or wine or an area that you like. Yeah, I mean... Region. It, doesn't have to be a trend. Sure. I mean, well, if we go back to trends, I mean, natural wine trend, right? That's a big trend. Big. Everyone's I mean, the Raw about. Wine Fair was here in yeah. Brooklyn last fall. And it's... Ex- so it's landed. Yeah. It's exciting to see it cleaning up a little bit, I think. Um, I think when it kind of first landed, maybe what is this? Probably like eight years ago. Yeah, ten eight years to ago, ten. Yeah. Um, a lot of the wine was like undrinkable to me, like too stinky, too funky, too cider-like. Um, I, you know, worked in Burgundy and came from so clean what, Burgundy. So what happened? Did better guys come and push those guys aside, or those guys got better at I making it? I think both. I think both. I think a lot of the guys who were making those wine did a little bit more homework and started cleaning up their their wineries a little bit more. Um, but I also think the people who maybe are importing or distributing kind of figured out how to cherry pick a little bit more. So the ones that are in the market are a little bit better, a little there bit cleaner. Are, and it's great for that style of wine right. because it's starting to make a little bit more sense. Before, it was pretty confusing, I think, for a general consumer. It's like, this isn't what I'm used to. It's still yeah, but it's getting confusing better. and yeah. it hasn't permeated the mass market yet. Yeah. There are restaurants and bars you know, that are committed to it. Yeah. Um, when we talk about Blue Hill, we'll get into it more. Okay. But is that an important thing for Blue Hill to have a strong position of natural wine? In natural, organic, biodynamic. I mean, it's just wine from farmers <clears throat> is right. really the most important thing. And generally, that falls in the same category. But right. first and foremost, farmer with a story about why they're why they're planting this grape or what they're doing. And your so it's it's definitely artisanal and farmer driven. Your interpretation mm-hmm. of. <clears throat> Not just natural, but organic. But mm-hmm. what if you said to somebody, basically, here's the overview of what this type of wine is. How do you describe it uh, for organic or biodynamic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, wine where it's just it's letting the grape speak for itself in the region that it comes from, with nothing added to it. Just so it in the winemaking, there's yeah. no intervention. Pretty much no. I mean, I'm not afraid of a little bit of sulfur. I think right. I think some wines need a little bit of sulfur. Um, if it smells like a glass full of sulfur, it's probably not going to be great, right. you know, and I'm probably not going to buy that. But um, I want the wine to be to be clean and pure, no matter where it's from or how yeah. it's made. And clean and pure is, yeah, at the grape level on the farm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you know, if it's reductive when you're first making the wine, there are ways, you know, like open top ferment, get it out of right. there. So I think there are ways to, to manipulation. Do that, that's but not natural. intervention, exactly. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. So that's why there's so many different styles. Yeah. And all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's here to stay. Um, I'm not sure, like I said, that it's hit 
a lot of restaurant lists. Yeah. Patrick Capiello was talking about when he was a guilt, somebody turned him on to it and he mm-hmm. fell in love and he said, there's no way I'm selling this stuff. It's hard. These guys are yeah. coming here to drink, you know, Bordeaux's and Colt yeah. Cali's and, yeah. you know, Tuscan wines. Yeah. And I mean, all if that. we, if we have those wines on our wine list and they're like too funky or too cloudy or, you know, any of those things that might be off putting for a guest, like and I'm not there, it's like written on the cov sheet, like funky, let guests know, cloudy. But you're, you're screening cider-like. that too. I mean, oh, yeah. your taste, you'll catch that before it hits the table. This is too funky. Yeah, this, is total, too, yeah. this ain't going to play well and on the floor. If someone orders something like that, I usually go over and say, I'm not warning you, but right. I'm kind of warning you. Right. This is what it's like. So if you don't want right. it, tell me now. If they're up for it. Yeah. And then, some of them, sometimes know, they are, and sometimes they're like, no way, give me, you know, Shasani Mamrasha. I don't want Jura White. Something right. like that. Yeah. Um, as a sommelier, you've participated in some fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about a few things because sure. it's sort of behind the scene. But, you know, it's a part of what you do. Wine and Spirits magazine. Yeah. Um, is that Josh Green? Yeah. That's, that's Josh. Josh. Yeah. He does an event every year. And it's not that old. Um, it's called Wine and Spirit magazine Psalm Scavenger Hunt. Uh-huh. And I think you participated at the beginning. So it's. And it's I think just, you won it. Yeah. But But what is it? It's an industry thing. It is. So what they do is they, they pick a, a region or an area. So the first year it was the United States, so a very okay. large region. Um, and then the second year it was Australia. And then they send uh, six, five or six groups of three sommeliers. Teams. To, yeah, three teams of sommeliers. Two specific regions selected by wine and spirits. So they select the. They or they select could the select regions, a captain, and he want. can go. Ex- yeah, exactly. They select a captain. The captain chooses the region, and then you go to that region. You pick a grape varietal that you think represents that region well. You choose six wines of that same grape varietal by tasting around. Then you bring those six wines back, and then you have kind of a taste off essentially where you give a presentation on those six wines it has to tell tell the story of why you chose those wines and why you think it represents so that region. So let's put some context into sure. it. The first year you did US. First year we I did would US. assume it was that west. It was all over it so was. there so was there was uh, Finger Lakes Riesling, there was I think there was Willamette Valley Pinot Noir, there was Napa Valley Cabernet which is what we had, my team had. Um, there was I think Sonoma Pinot Noir as well. Yeah, and maybe just like Washington State Cabernet. So, so. one team was all Finger Lakes Riesling. Yep. One team was all Napa. Exactly. One t- okay. Yeah. And your job was to go out and give the most interesting, best representation to compete. Exactly. So yeah. what's the game plan? I mean, what do you what do you do when so, you get out there? I mean, our our game plan was to just taste like crazy, taste old school, taste new school, and talk to everyone about what they like. So we would go to winemakers like Steve Mathiason in Napa and say, hey, what do you like? And he would say, here, 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 here. And we'd just add them onto our list of people to visit, call them up and try to go visit them. So I remember Steve Mathiason said, hey, you got to go to these guys at Smith Madrone. We went to Smith Madrone and we're like... an older winery. Oh, not been even around, like... Right. Been around since the 70s. Um, it's not like dirty and rowdy or something. Not even close. Yeah. yeah. No. They have this amazing vineyard right on Spring Mountain, make like beautiful rustic style, old school Napa Cab. And it's, you know, probably like 60 bucks retail as opposed to some of these other ones. So the wines were phenomenal. So we kind of just discovered that and then made sure we represented some of the different regions of Napa. So the different AVAs within it and then um, different styles too. So maybe like 
new young, you know, like Arnold right. Roberts Cabernet or something like that, and then you know going against like Diamond Creek Cabernet. So two contrasting styles and everything in between. So now you have that your, tells the story. You have your six wines. Yep. The other teams have their six wines. Yep. There's a panel of judges. There's a big panel of judges, wine writers, master psalms, all those kinds of and they're looking winemakers. for what creativity, diversity, quality, all of that? all of those things, and then yeah, quality of the your wines. presentation. Yeah, the presentation, quality of the wines. If the story makes sense, like do these wines make sense in the story? Like why did you choose these wines? Um, and then yeah, just kind of like the overall overall presentation skills, I think as well. But we always chose a much more creative style of presentation. So more, yeah, a little more bit what? I don't know. Like the more first animated, definitely or? more animated. Um, you know, the first year, everyone else did a PowerPoint presentation, and we knew that was going to happen. We said everyone's going to do a PowerPoint presentation. Boring, right? And I said, and probably hand out rocks. And Unless like there's the, pictures of naked people or something. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be fun, no. right? So we went up with just uh, kind of a, an easel and some markers, and we had like drawn a few things on the easel. But as we told, we each told the story of the wine. By the way, the presentation is like six minutes long, so it's fast. Like you have to get like everything in forty-five seconds per wine. Um, so we did almost like a draw, like draw as you go type of thing, right. and they were like kind of funny and edgy and catchy and you know Caught silly. Everyone. But so you, you won the first year. We won the first year. You won the second year. We won the second year. With Australian wines? With Australian wine. And have you done it since? We just did it again, and we did Ontario Pinot Noir. Now, same team three years in a row? Yeah, same team three years in a row. Yeah. Were other returning teams same teams, or are they mix up a little? No, we were the only returning team two years ago, and then last year they brought back another returning team. So it was, yeah. What happened with the Ontario wine? Well, we didn't win, but... Do you think... No knock to Ontario wines, but do you think it had something to do with the wines? I think compare. So if you compare like Ontario Pinot Noir to say like the juicy, luscious Sonoma Pinot Noir, that Sonoma Pinot Noir is pretty delicious in the glass. So taste is a big, big decider yeah. too. Okay. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. You know? And Ontario but wine's I, hard and firm, and it's, it's good though. Great. Yeah. It's just in the context of other wines. Because, you know, I've had Raj Parr on and uh-huh. other guys. And Jasmine Hirsch, yeah. everybody's making a more restrained wine. Totally, yeah. You know, so you have the restrained wine. I guess you have this Canadian wine. You have, like, yeah. the big stuff and all of that. Yeah, and everything in between. But, but you know what? A noble effort to... Yeah. Uh, to support, I know Michael Madrigal is a big uh, Canadian. Uh, yeah, fan. well, he was on my team. Right, <laughs> so I knew that. We went together. All right, so that's the Psalm Scavenger Hunt, which is a fun industry thing. And then we've had Daniel Jonas on, yeah. who, who who pretty much founded La Paulet, yeah. and that is pretty much a Burgundy orgy, big time. And also the Fate du Champagne, which mm-hmm. is a Champagne, champagne orgy. orgy. Yeah, and basically. <laughs> Tell people what you do. You pay to get tickets to the most amazing access of events, tastings, yeah. verticals. But Daniel brings in literally dozens of sommeliers. Yeah, there's a lot of us. To work for free? Work for free. But, and why do you, you get paid sometimes. I mean, why be, do you do it? Because Just, you get to taste some of the best wines you'll ever get to taste in your life, especially that grand tasting dinner. It's an aggregation oh of my stuff gosh. you own. You know, it's it's... Epic wines from epic wineries, from epic vintages that were stored properly and beautiful, especially, you know, so the way it works is there's this grand gala dinner. So, you know, people pay. Danielle 
Danielle Baloud cooks and he brings in all sorts of chefs. Michelle Trago cooks sometimes. Um, you know, mostly old school French chefs. They all do a course and then people pay to go to this dinner where these amazing chefs cook and then they all bring their own wine. Is any wine brought in besides what they bring in or it's all about... They bring in wine. Also, Daniel always kind of gives everyone um, a glass of generally Merceau because this is right. kind of a, a payback to the, the La Palais de Merceau, which is where this originated. So he's bringing the tradition over here. So he'll usually get a you know a giant bottle right. or two of Merceau and give everyone a glass of that. Right. And then also at the table alongside you are the winemakers. So you're at a table with who are there for the grand tasting that day, pouring their wine. So you know, dozens if you're, of them. If you're sitting next to like you know. Armand jo- Rousseau's Rousseau, guy. Rousseau, right? or, well, it's usually Rousseau himself, or Is his daughter, there? or Jean Marc Rouleau, or, yeah, like the Munirage Borg sisters, right. or Guillaume Dangerville. Like, you're in luck because that's what you're drinking all night long. So that's, it's a very expensive event. It's, it is. It's, it's Burgundy. Um, it's a special thing. And it's, it sounds like it's equally special to sommeliers. I think so. You it's know, fun, it's a- and it's, you know, they're, they're also adding events that are a little, little bit more approachable and easier to right. afford, like which is talks really exciting. And yeah, cheaper Bordeaux and all that talks, stuff. seminars, the schedule. Like, yeah. You know, if you're Off interested, you know, anybody can go on the La Poly uh, mm-hmm. website and find out more. All right, let's talk about Blue Hill. Okay. Um, for a little bit, um, it's fair to say the restaurant showcases local food and a wine list with producers who respect artisanal technique. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a little, but what does that mean in the context of Blue Hill? I mean, I think it just, it means, you know, both the food and, you know, what, what you're drinking in your glass are just representative of where they come from. Um, you know, the, the, the seasonality of the food here shows that, you know, you're not going to get a tomato at Blue Hill or, you know, in in December or, you know, a cucumber in your gin martini, you know, if cucumbers aren't in season, you know, right. those kinds of things. Um, you so know, we, farm to table means what's available. What's available, yeah. And like you said, you're not going to get a gorgeous summer tomato in the middle of the winter. Definitely not. just not, not going to yeah. play with that. Um, and then as far as, as far as the wine list, I mean, it's... Is it ch- more, is it more challenging I mean, it's. I think a lot of people come in and expect all of all of the wines to be or local or like a big, heavy, heavy local wine section, and it's it's what spaced do you mean? out Long for Island, you. Long Island, New York State, Long Island, or? New York State. I mean, I guess even Canada could be like yeah. Ontario could be considered, and there are like a handful. But what I really like to highlight are farmers who are growing indigenous grape varietals in a particular region. You know, kind of bringing bringing the the history back through through the wine. Um, which is what we're doing with a lot of the food here right. at, at, at Food at Blue Hill. So is it more challenging at a place like that than a traditional restaurant, you know, where there's lamb and fish? and It can be. It changes more than most places. I mean, it, most restaurants now are seasonal. Yeah. But you're going to get the steak and chops and fish. Yeah. Do you... Like, what do you pair with asparagus? I mean, I mean, do you ever get stuck with something? Right. Yeah, big time. And also because you want diversity in what you're pouring, because we also have a ton of regulars who come in all the time, you know, and lean to me to kind of just pour them something here and there. And I don't want to always have just, right. you know, Gruner Veltliner with the asparagus, which would right. be like, you know, a the classic, classic matchup or classic whatever. matchup because asparagus is so hard. So then you kind of like start branching out and just like, yeah, tasting a lot. So I think we did recently like um, a Petite Arvine with the asparagus and it worked beautifully. Now, what is a Petite Arvine? Where is it from? What type of Valle d'Aosta, northern, northern Italy, very high elevation, kind of herbal mountain white wine. Fresh, full-bodied, but definitely like more herbaceous. So it really paired well with 
herbaceous type of green things good like acidity. asparagus. Great Did acidity. Yeah, great acidity. Now, do you do... I would think I would leave it to you to eat there mm-hmm. and do a by-the-glass or pairing program. We have it a is, pairing, yeah. And it, it changes as the menu changes. It's not just the open bottles from the bar. I mean, you decide no. what yeah. you're going to... It's never anything... It's generally never anything that's even on the wine list at all. It's I have like a stash of wines I kind of keep off off to the side um, and we'll rotate around them and sometimes they'll get thrown onto the list if the dish changes and then I'll order more of something else once I talk to the chef about kind of what's happening the following week. Um, so it's a good play. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, there's a wine pairing. They're just going to dump wines on me. It's yeah, no. quite the opposite at your place. Yeah. And probably at any good place. Yeah. They're well thought out wines. They are. And they're, they're fun and interesting and have a story. You know, it's it's very easy to make someone happy by pouring them, you know, a glass of white burgundy followed by a glass of old Bordeaux. You know, it's a little bit more difficult when you're doing like Petite Darvine right. followed by, you know, Savoie White or something like this. And But... You know, the staff is educated on the stories of the wine, and I think the wines are delicious and go well with the food. So so take me through a typical meal. Um, <clears throat> is it coursed? Is it a tasting, tasting menu? Yeah, so there's two options. Well, actually, there's three options when you go. So there's a four-course prefix menu. Right. So you have three savory and one dessert, and you have options for each course is there. And then there's what we call the farmer's feast, which is the set tasting menu of of that day, which I think is the best thing to More go for. More courses than four? It's or? six courses. So you get four savory plus two dessert. Um, so how many, if you did the glass wine pairing, how yeah. many different wines are you tasting? You're tasting six. You are. Because you're, you're going to start off with some bubbles first. basically one every course. Yeah. Dessert we, wines at the end yeah, or sweet something, wines. Yeah, something fun at the end And on dessert. the four course, it's four wines? Yeah. Wow. So let's talk this past few weeks. The six-course wine, what's the split between red and white? Um, it's This past week's been two. It's been, we start off with bubbles, kind of for your little snacky nice. bits at, snacky bits at the, the front. And I try not to choose champagne. Try to choose something a little bit different. <laughs> um, sparkler, though? Sparkler, yeah. Like generally a, a sparkler. Cremant or... Right now we're using a, a really great cava producer that I really love. Tell us. Called um, Alta Alea is the producer. Al- A-L-T-A. A-L-T-A, A-L-E-L-L-A. Um, and it's uh, Brut Nature cava um, from a very small producer, very close to Barcelona. Um, all Chirello, which is the grape varietal. Um, and it's just beautiful and dry and citrusy, but also kind of smoky and goes great with... Nice. Like, now, you get a lot of, like, charcuterie and things like that at the beginning of the meal at Blue Hill. Nice. It's nice to have something with a little bit more of, like, a texture to it. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then generally, yeah, sometimes two white. Right now, it's two whites, two reds, and then you get a dessert Some wine. Some kind of dessert mm-hmm. wine. Sounds great. Um, and then if people buy bottles of wine, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they're wine knowledgeable, they'll drink two, three bottles mm-hmm. in the course of a... I mean, if they're oh, serious, yeah. they want to maybe do a sparkle or a white. And, and then a red. red. Yeah. That's typical. Yeah. Um, and you guide them through all of that. Yeah. So Dan practices sustainability. Mm-hmm. He's famous for that. Yes. Um, does that carry over to you on how you select wines? We talked about a little sure. earlier with the natural wines. I wanted to save it. I mean, you said, God, people think I should have wines from New York or yeah. just natural. How does it affect, you know, how you put your list together? Yeah, I mean, every every wine on the list has a story and a reason why it's there. Um, you know, even, you know, I don't know, 
we have Dom Perignon on the list too, but that's just because it's delicious. But other than that, you know, mo- most of the wines have a story and it generally boils down to s- some sort of sustainable agriculture reason. You know, a lot of the stories are the same where, you know, the, the winemaker is planting cover crops in between the vines to like aerate the soil. And So you know the story on most of the wines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you talk to the customers about it? If they want. Not okay. all of them. Yeah, right. if I feel it out. But and if people are interested, like, tell yeah. me about this wine, yeah. or, you know, I want natural wines. Oh, yeah. You'll you'll talk about all of that. It's, I think it's very important at a place like Blue Hill because everyone is there for the experience, and they want the stories about the food, but also the wine. I mean, we're parading giant squash for the dining room. Right. So if we're, like, going to have a wine on the wine list, I hope we have a story behind that, too. Right. So, that, yeah. that was my point. <laughs> yeah, there, so there's a big story in the food. The wine shouldn't be, you know, left out with yeah. that story. Um, you've designed or the wine list has been designed mm-hmm. a little differently yes. than most wine lists. You yeah. open up a wine list and it says Italy, yeah. France, Rhone, you know, Jura, whatever. Yeah. Your wine list is presented how? It's, it's by, interesting. It's by style. And you have over a dozen styles. Yeah. So explain to me why you do style and what some of the styles sure. are. So I think it's a little bit easier um, First of all, the wine list isn't really that large. It's 150 selections, which compared to a lot of the other big restaurants in New York, it's way smaller. But you rotate. Yeah, we rotate a lot. Because of the seasonality. Yeah, like, we rotate a lot. Okay, but um, it's very curated, obviously. Yeah, it's 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 very fun to have it broken up into style like that. So, for example, on the white wine side, there's crisp and bright, there's elegant and round, um, there's aromatic and floral, petrol and stone fruit, and then medium and rich. So, so what it does... Four- that's different category. Yeah, five, right? So yeah, five. what that lets me do is group things together. For example, like I can have, you know, a white wine from the Canary Islands or from Corsica, you know, alongside something like a Sancerre and it doesn't get lost. Right. So it's, you know, people just go straight for like Sancerre category for something like light and fresh, which fair enough, it's, it's, it's easy right. to go to. But there's something like a Corsican Vermentino right above it or right below it. They kind of see that too. They're that, like, huh, what's that? Does that make the customer a little more comfortable or focused? Definitely. I in think general. I mean, a lot of wine people who know wine don't need in that. In general, but. I think it, it makes the conversation with the guest way easier. Um, you know, especially with, with reds, because we have like a page of Pinot Noirs, but mixed alongside those are things like Blaufrankisch or, you know, I don't know, maybe a carbonic macerated Listan Negro from Lanzarote or something like this. So there these like go. crazy things that, what are they going to be on a Canary Islands category? Right. Like one or two wines, right. it would just be gives overlooked. You, gives you some good leeway. Gives me leeway and it lets me move the wines a lot more. Do you ever hear from customers that you don't have enough of the big Bordeaux or mm-hmm. Cali Colts or Burgundies. Oh, sure. Because I think that type of restaurant, you may get the type of clientele that's like, you know, I want a yeah. 89, concierge, whatever. Yeah. I mean, well, I, there's something in every category, but generally just like one or two, especially Bordeaux. Um, Not an issue, really. Yeah. Barolo, there's like two, you know, Burgundy, there's like one Nuit Saint-Georges, one Chambon Musigny, one Gevry Chambertin. It's so there. You, it's there, and it hits all different price points and styles. Right. So there's there's a way to find something for everybody, whether or not you want a big, you know, heavy Napa cab or right. like a light, easy-drinking Beaujolais. So the wine list is designed by style, not region. Mm-hmm. And you describe some of the, the styles mm-hmm. in white. What's the slant? If you look at Italian, French, mm-hmm. American, 
of the 150 plus yeah. bottles, it's, how does the slant, you know, it's mostly does, French. <laughs> it is mostly French. It's mostly French. Yeah. I think and it, within French, it's mostly, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty varied it all over France. Yeah, it really is. At the why, moment, especially. why is that? It pairs well with the food. Is that your, di- not directive, but your yeah. direction? Yeah. It pairs with the food. It's just like French wine is generally pretty clean, <laughs> you know? So if you were forced to do Italian, more Italian, it yeah. would be harder because there's more French wines, regions, types. It just plugs in better. It just, it, it plugs in better and um, I probably just taste more French wine. I mean, I just have a natural affinity, generally right. speaking, more towards French wine. But then the, I would say Italian plays a close second, U.S. probably third after that, and then kind of a little bit of everything else in between, Greece, right. Spain, you know. The stuff people want. Else. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but not yet. You also have a nice large beer list, too. Yeah. You know, more than most restaurants. There's some pretty cool beers there. Same thing. Take some time to get the diversity in different types and areas. Definitely. Why do you have such a big beer list? We have... So, the the beer list was um, kind of a collaboration between myself and the person that was there before me. And then after I came with, like, one of the other managers that I work work alongside. And then we started kind of building these relationships with a lot of local local brewers um, in, in the area. There's a lot now. Yeah, there's a lot. Now. There's a lot of great ones who kind of just, they change what they're doing so often. So it's right. almost like a CSA of beer. It's like, here's what we have. Here's what you get. Right. You know, and it's really fun um, for the staff, I think, to, to learn different styles. So we represent all different types of styles, but also, again, like breweries with stories. So go back. If I do the four or six course dinner, you have the wines by the glass slotted mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Can I say to you, listen, what am I getting? Six wines? Can you knock one out and give me a beer? Totally. Would you do that? We would do that. We also actually have on our on printed on the menu it says please inquire about non traditional pairings. So we'll also do a whole pairing where it's not just wine. We'll incorporate beer, some sort of cocktail, spirit, maybe sherry, maybe cider. Um, I make sweet vermouth. We put in the sweet vermouth sometimes. Right. You things. have a couple so of your own brand. We have all things. sorts of little things that we'll throw in there and make it fun. You know, very like, cool. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to subject you to our wine list, ask okay. you a bunch of questions. Okay. We're sitting with Michelle Bichelia. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Michelle is the wine director at Blue Hill, which we talked, you know, a little about. Very interesting place. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hey. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Mm 
All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Michelle. Michelle Bichelia from Blue Hill in New York City on Washington. 75 Washington Place in between 6th Avenue and McDougal. And it's a step-down restaurant, mm-hmm. and it used to be a speakeasy? It did, yeah. It, you know, there's a lot of different stories. Um, there's a lot of neighbors that come and tell us, oh, I remember this. This used to be this or that. It was a place actually called Marta. Um, Not the Danny Meyer Marta. No, a different Marta, yeah, a while ago. And then it was also kind of a place where, like, a lot of... Um, like army pilots used to hang out. Oh, really? Out. Yeah, it like just, at a bar, speakeasy. Yeah, it this, became a hangout for mm-hmm. And Blue Hill opened in what two thousand? Mm-hmm. It's been around a while. Seventeen years now. All right, so we're going to subject Michelle to our wine list and hope to get some good info from her. Okay. All right, so question one: What are you drinking now? Not right in front of <clears> you, but. What are yeah. you tasting, trying, new, restaurant, personal, home? Yeah. Um, home, we drink a lot of, like, light, fresh whites, actually. Especially, like... Be specific. Yeah. So, I mean, Muscadet is something I always have in my refrigerator. Give me a couple of good uh, producers. Pe- yeah. Pepier, Pepier. Is, is, is my favorite. Um, we have... Malvasia, dry Malvasia from the Canary Islands. M A L V A S I A. Yep. A red wine. White wine. White wine from White the wine Canary Islands. From the Canary Islands. Good value. Great value. Is there a producer you could throw at? Producer I love is Los Bermejos, B E R M E J O S. And that's a Malvasia from the Canary Islands. Yep. Great. All stainless steel, so like very fresh, aromatically floral, very pretty, but. Crushable. <laughs> Those are good ones. Yeah. Um, does it change with you? Like in the winter, All the obviously you change. It changes switch. like every right. week. Yeah. You're like, you have like a farm to table brain <laughs> now, you know? <laughs> All right. Next question. Give me, I wish Simone was here. He'll yeah. walk in. Give me your favorite wine and food pairing. Ooh. Yours. Okay. Um, that's hard. But what, well, my favorite food. My favorite food in the world is just like a very simple spaghetti pomodoro. And Simone, my husband, makes the most incredible like pomodoro sauce um, in the world. It's just very simple tomato sauce. He like lets it cook for about eight hours. And the it's sauce? The sauce. Just like and it's just a simple tomato. Very, very simple. Do we know the ingredients? It's it's like canned whole tomatoes it can be, or crushed? In, in the winter, yeah, it can does be canned whole. Does he use fresh tomatoes sometimes? In the summertime, he does. He, he generally mixes it with, with part canned, part fresh, but he'll buy like the really good, high-quality canned tomatoes. Garlic, imported, onion. Really. Garlic, no onion. No onion. Um, great olive oil. It's a very good olive oil is an important component. And he just kind of like lets it simmer. Nice. Yeah, he sweats, sweats out the garlic a little so bit. So what pairs with that? So what You could change, but what's the yeah, classic? Yeah, I think what we drink a lot with that are um, wines from, like, the northern Piedmont, but, like, sim- more simple grapes, like Grignolino is one of my... Is that Alta Piedmont or northern Piedmont? It's... Well, it's Piedmont. I guess okay. you call it Piedmont. Okay. But, there, yeah, but there's two great varietals that, that I love from... Um, from Piedmont that are not Nebbiolo, and they are Grignolino and Freja. Are these red or? They're both red. So Grignolino, G R I G R I G N O L I N O Grignolino. 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 Okay. Another one is Freja, F R E I S A. Freja. 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 Yeah. Freja. Yeah. And uh, they're they're great with this 
Positive good value wines? Both great value okay. wines, yeah. I don't drink anything too uh, high-end right. or expensive at home. Except it's, for an occasion or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So we're looking at a simple spaghetti pomodoro mm-hmm. with some northern Piedmont wines. Grigolino yep. and Frasia. Yeah. Okay. That's, <laughs> Very easy to say. <laughs> that's a first. You know, Scott Conan kind of became famous with Scarpetta sure. for that simple pomodoro, you know, spaghetti so dish. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't ask this to people. It's not on the regular list. Okay. But we talked about it earlier. Hardest food to pair a wine with. You've got more experience with that you know, than anyone. I think, well, very often on the, the tasting menu at Blue Hill, actually at the moment, is this, where we, we do... Um, you know, two vegetable, like vegetable fish and like that. And then we'll do a meat course. And then we finish with vegetable. Like right now it's with parsnip steak, which is a parsnip ah. that's treated like a steak. They do that with cauliflower. With, with, yeah. So it's like, you're doing this. So it's a dense vegetable yeah. grilled or. Yeah. Um, and it comes, <laughs> you know, or it's like, it's like very difficult, but you know, depending on kind of how it's cooked very like right now it's, it's lightly pickled before it's kind of grilled. So we're actually pairing it with, uh, Lopez de Heredia red wine. So Rioja red wine, but it's almost like sweet and sour red wine. So it goes actually really well with the parsnip and it, it, it's also about, you know, like the, the progression of the wines on the pairing too, you know, they're going to go back to like, that's I don't cool. know, something different. So yeah, it's fun. That's the hardest thing for me to do is that's cool. Follow that. Um, Simone, we asked, we asked Michelle her favorite wine and food pairing, and she said your Pomodoro <laughs> and a, a Nebbiolo wine. Do Grignolino. You, not a Nebbiolo, Grignolino. <laughs> My bad. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing besides that? I would say that uh, I probably like to pair um, um, the margherita pizza slice. Right, with? With, with a glass of Fiano di Avellino. Ooh. Which is Sicilian? No, that's no. Campania. Campania. But volcanic area, yeah. So pizza, here, move up closer. Pizza and... Pizza and Fiano. Yeah, Fiano. You can't go wrong. Uh, Michelle, give me a good uh, Fiano. It's a, it's a fairly yeah. reasonable wine, Fairly right? reasonable wine. Um, the one that we drink the most at home right now is called Guido Marcella. M-A-R-S-E-L-L-A is okay. the producer. And it is... A delicious, like soulful, smoky white wine. Great. Yeah. Simone knows because he's a famous chef, so that's <laughs> why I asked him. All right. All right, Michelle, your favorite wine restaurant and/or bar, obviously besides Blue Hill, where the slant yeah. towards the wine selection and service is impressive to you. Yeah, I mean, um, as far as well, wine bar with food, we go to uh, Compagnie Servin Naturel quite so, a bit. Caleb. Yeah. I call him Caleb, but it's yeah. Caleb. He yeah. comes up a lot. Yeah. That Give place, me another one. Another one. Um, good I, food, good wine, funky, nice. Good food, good wine, funky, nice. I mean... Have you ever done a mixtape there? Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. You're, yeah. I guess you're on the Maybe on, on deck the, somewhere. Maybe on the deck list, yeah. Um, Pasquale Jones, we love going there. Great. I mean, I love pizza. I could eat pizza, pizza every day. you know, Robert and all that. And Charlie Burr. Yeah. Charlie Burr. Yeah. So you guys are in heaven. Yeah. Um, tell me your favorite all-time wine. What's the wine? I mean, the To wi- this day, just resonates. Yeah. It was either life-changing, yeah. birthday. Well, the wine, the wine that, that got me into wine, the wine that made me change my whole direction of, of my life was... Um, a 1966 Burgundy from Domaine Lewa producer 
um, and it was uh, Pomard Epineau, 1966. Wow. Yeah. Was this something you tasted at Pastis? Yeah. It was. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. And that's the one that made me say, I want to go to this part of the world and find out why this happens. Great. So, so I'll never forget. That's a good one. Uh, I don't think anyone on the show has knocked a 66 yeah. on this list. Yeah. All right. Last question. Tap into your expertise. And we sort of broached this a little. Mm-hmm. Best wine around 15 bucks retail. I want a red and a white. My oldest son's 27. He's going to dinner with six other friends. He's bringing three bottles of wine. Uh-huh. He wants to impress, but he ain't spending a lot of money. Okay. What red is he going to buy in that around that price yeah. range? Um, red, let's see. I mean, probably a... Probably Beaujolais, I Beaujolais? would say. Beaujolais? Beaujolais, yeah. That's Gamay? That's Gamay. I mean, $15, $15 retail. 15 to 20 You'd probably have to go with a kind of very unknown producer, perhaps. Um, not I mean, crappy, like, just not crappy, just unknown. But okay. you could also do actually. Uh, Marcel Lapierre does his Raison Galois, it's called, and it's it's gamay. It's it's like non-appellation Beaujolais, but it's delicious. That's light, good, easy, and fresh. Um, good and call then, on that. Yeah, and then white. There's a Vino Verde from Portugal that I think is really good, and it's from a producer called Asnella. A S A S N E L L A. Now, would you rank that above a Muscadet or... Similar. 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 I so that Muscadet is always the right answer for a white at 15 that's quality. But yeah. the... But this particular Vino Verde is maybe even like $13. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. Vino Verde from Asnella. Yeah. Okay. In Portugal. So that's a good one. Yeah. All right. You did a yeoman's job <laughs> on our wine list. But more importantly, you gave us a lot of great recommendations, which is really why I do it. Good. All right, our last segment in the show is our weekly wine sip. That's okay. when we taste wine. So every week right. we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we are going to taste, because it's hot out and it's yes, summer, it a 2015 La Spinetta Toscana Vermentino okay. by Giorgio Rivetti yeah. from Casanova della Spinetta. Yeah. This wine is from the Tuscan region, and I'm going to ask you in a second. Most Vermentinos are not Tuscan, so this right. is a little different. Right. Um, it's 100% Vermentino grape, this particular one. This wine retails for about 14 to 20 bucks, mm-hmm. and it's fairly readily available at you know better wine stores. All right, so what more can you tell me about Vermentino? Yeah. And can you tell me anything specifically? And I'm going to ask Simone to pour. So Vermentino um, is also a wine that I always have in my refrigerator. I actually really love the grape varietal. I think it's pretty uh, undervalued and underrepresented very often. Um, I love it from Corsica, from Liguria in northern Italy. You see it a little bit from Tuscany sometimes. Um, Generally, it's a little bit more oaked in Tuscany. Okay. If you do find it, Um, but it's it's soft. It's it's very floral, almost melony. In, in kind of like taste profile, um, but generally very clean, pure, and dry. So, Corsica, Liguria, mm-hmm. where else did you say? I just said those two. Tuscan. Okay, so that's <laughs> France and Italy, yeah. but Corsica is like right We're above the... Uh, Sardinia, Right. Yeah. Um, aren't the grapes called something different in other regions? Well, this one is not. 
This okay. one in Corsica is called Vermentine New. Okay. <laughs> so it's only one letter off. Okay. And then in northern Italy, it's still Vermentino. And Rivetti and La Spinetta is basically a Tuscan or Barolo? Giorgio Rivetti. So he's actually located in the Asti region. Okay. Um, is where La Spinetta, the winery, is, um, which is very close to Barolo. Okay. It's not too far from Barolo or Barbara. It's closer to Barbaresco. And they make um, a lot of different wines from the Asti region, also from Tuscany. They're very well known for their um, Moscato de Asti, but they also make really great um, white and red vermouth as well. Um, they make they make a lot of different wines. You go there, you t- I've been there. Pretty I, diverse. I've been there. I've tasted it. I think is it, it was considered like, a good. It is quality yeah. winemaker. It is, I mean, yeah. He's, he's making a lot of stuff, but it's good. It's good, yeah. Okay. He sor- he sources. Um, you know, he's smart about where he sources from, and he's meticulous with detail. So I think okay. it, it, it's translated in the wine. All right, so we're going to taste it first. Let's look at the color. Yeah. So it's kind of a. It's very pale, light uh, straw color. I would say pale straw, but there's yeah. definitely a yellow to it. Yep. But it's pale. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the nose. Yeah, so it smells great. It's it smells almost like like cantaloupe, melon, honeydew, a touch of almost salinity like yeah, on the on the nose. You can smell I guess smell the Tuscan, sea. the coast or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's got a nice nose. I get a little apple in there. Yeah, it's very little, pretty, floral. Like yeah. Honeysuckle a little bit too. All right, let's uh, let's throw it's it bad. over the tongue. <laughs> and let's you got a head start. Let's uh, give it a taste. So let's start with mouthfeel. Yeah. Medium, light. Medium. Medium. Yeah, it's not really light, huh? It's good mouthfeel. Good mouthfeel, good texture. You feel the, some acidity? Mouth. Yeah. So it's mouth coating, medium. Mouth coating, good medium body. Um, on the palate, the taste is similar to what it smelled like. It's it's pretty. It's got apple notes. It's floral. Tough to that honeysuckle on the finish, but dry. Lots Acid of fruit. Is high. Yeah, it's fruity, but acid it hits you at the end so it's good any, balanced do you pick up any minerality or yeah a little bit it's kind of salty yeah mm-hmm. on the uh, yeah a little of the after yeah there's a little salt on the tongue yeah um balanced balanced yeah i would say this is what 14 dollars retail it's great i'd say probably 14 is the low end 15 yeah. 16 bucks yeah so it's a good summer quaffer i'd say now yeah. let's talk about what do we pair with this yeah um I mean, right now, this I think Vermentino is a great, great varietal for a lot of these spring vegetables that are kind of out. Ramps so, and ramps, green peas, onions, exactly. Peas. Spring onions, um, fiddlehead ferns, all the different greens that you see in the market right now. Yeah, this is like a great. So, wine a for Vermentino those. goes great with all those spring vegetables. Yeah, definitely. Is that is that one of the top choices, or it's a good choice? I mean, you I, wouldn't do a red with those, right? No, I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't. No, I think Vermentino is a great choice for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, do we like this wine? I do like it. Yeah. Is it a good wine for the price? I think so. I think price point, yeah, value. It's it's good. It's made well and yeah. Okay. It's clean. It tastes like Vermentino, which is what you want. Right. Um, it's definitely Italian. You know, you can like taste the Italian in it. It's can good. you can you distinguish a Tuscan Vermentino from a Ligurian or yeah. a Corsican? Oh yeah. Can you? Would you be Corsican. able to tell me a trait different from this? Corsican is is um, yeah. I mean, they're really. This is definitely richer than is say. Richer? This is richer than a Corsican or a Ligurian one would be. Um, Corsican one for me is always way more floral um, okay. and a little bit more um, 
like softer, but it really has that kind of piercing melony thing where this is a little bit richer, more appley, more round. It's got more weight, more body, more texture. And then Ligoria is like salt bomb. It is. It's so, yeah, because it's grown, like if you could picture Cinque Terra in your mind, it's right. grown like on those cliffs, sea spraying on the grapevines. Yeah. So the best, the question isn't really what's the best region. It's what do you like and what are you eating and exactly. you know what pairs. Yeah. That that um, Ligorian may pair better with something mm-hmm. or some people may have more of a taste than a richer wine. Yeah. So Vermentino, you could look at those um, three areas. I brought the Tuscan one in just because I knew it was a bit of an outlier. I was yeah. curious. Yeah. All right. So that's the 2015 Las Benetta Toscana Vermentino. It's made by Giorgio Rovetti from Casanova della Spinetta. It's 14 to 20 bucks. Michelle liked it. I did. Pairs well with I'm a lot of wines. It. I saw Simone smiling a bit, so <laughs> I think he liked it. But I'd be challenged like that if I gave him anything, he'd smile. But <laughs> that's just me. Um, all right. I wanted to talk about one last thing before we wrap sure. up the show. Um, when we were talking about Blue Hill... Dan Barber is definitely a leader in the uh, community of sustainable food and farm-to-table and Mm -hmm. all that. Um, The reason I'm bringing it up is because a very cool event just ended, and it happened in the States a year or two ago, and you just did it in London. Mm -hmm. It's called Wasted. Mm -hmm. It's W-A-S-T. Capital E, capital D. As in waste education. Wasted food. All Mm -hmm. the food that you throw away or, you know, what you don't think you would use. Um, And there's a lot of food that's thrown away. So Dan put this sort of... It's more of a cause and a program together. Talk about it for a second. Sure. So when we did it in in New York City, um, we... We totally changed the restaurants. We closed down Blue Hill, New York, reopened as Wasted, and the entire restaurant was made from things that were wasted. So, for example, the tables were grown from, like, mushroom spores into a (laughs) table. Um, You know, hanging on the walls of the restaurant for decor was remade, which is what you... So you really transformed. The entire thing, yeah. It wasn't um, just the food. It was, it was you're everything. sitting on a table that was yeah. reconstituted. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then the menu was, you know, full of of ingredients that normally would have been tossed out. So, for example, we we partnered with a lot of the tops purveyors of carrots or whatever. Tops of carrots, ugly vegetables. But you know, if you go to I don't know, uh, Russ and daughters, and get a smoked salmon. They kind of like just flay, and there's this whole right. piece in the middle that yes, the bloodline is there, but there's still meat attached to the sides there, and they would just toss it because they're they're doing it quick fish and getting heads, rid of it. Tails. So whatever. we did that with um, Acme Smoke Smoked Fish Company in Brooklyn. Um, in Brooklyn, we we partnered with Baldor, who does they're they the do biggest a, produce guys, biggest produce guys, but they also do a like already prepared, like already cleaned vegetable side thing too and um, when they're cleaning the vegetables you know they're just like chopping off the top and the bottom of a carrot or peeling them or pre-peeling them and uh, tossing the peelings they had Ah. tons I mean literally tons and tons of vegetable waste so Dan's task was to show the world that with all this yeah. throwaway wasted stuff, that he would away. construct these delicious meals. Yeah, but we also had we named them funny. Like, so, like the salad was called the dumpster dive salad right. because it's literally things that Valder would throw in the dumpster. We had um, an item on the menu that was called dog food because it's all like the off cuts of meat that would normally go into dog food. Right. You know, as so you're like in the kitchen, you're like, did the chef just like fire one dog food? You know, but they did. 
Um, but the one thing that we did that we still actually have on the menu today is the juice pulp vegetable burger. So we were using... What is that? So it's a veggie burger made with leftover kind of like pressings from when ah. you're making juice. So being in the West Village, there's like eight juice right. juice places. So the texture, it's all vegetable it's and the all texture's vegetable. there. Yeah, it's texture's the there. It's throwaway pulp and all of it. Yeah, but so you know... So it's seasoned and other It's added. delicious. It's God. delicious. So we have that on our current bar menu now, which we're calling our fast food menu, which is kind of a throwback to Wasted. So this happened in London. It was staged as a pop-up somewhere? It was a pop-up on the rooftop of Selfridges, oh, which is a department sure. store. But, um, very high profile. Very high profile. And it was seven weeks long. And again, every night they had a guest chef you know, from, from and, Europe. And, and the type of thing that sells out. I mean, people are coming from all over. It sold out immediately. Can we anticipate something coming back here in the future? <laughs> I mean, not... Order you to something. Yeah, maybe. I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah, maybe not the same exact concept, but perhaps something a little bit different. All right. So that's sort of an admirable thing and a very inventive and creative thing. Yeah. The awareness part is huge. It, know, that's what, what it's all about. Do. Yeah, and if you could just move people a little. Yeah. The thing is, it's not really that new, right? Like, right. Like in, in most cultures, they, they do it already. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. We're the you know, worst. In cooks, it's in That's co- why in City co- Harvest <laughs> goes around and picks up truckloads of, you know, used food and old food and all yeah. that. All right. I want to thank Michelle, Michelle Bisheglia from Blue Hill for joining us. Um, if you have a question, a wine happening, or an event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. You could follow The Grape Nation on Facebook at The Grape Nation. We will post Michelle's wine list answers uh, probably by Friday. So if things sounded good, they'll be laid out specifically for you. We are on Instagram at sbenruby, and we're on Twitter at justbenruby. And you can listen to this and all the Grape Nation shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and you can go to the Heritage Radio Network website. Um, Michelle... Where can we follow you? You are uh, on Instagram. I uh, I have a Twitter account. I don't really use it, but okay. I have the same. I have the same handle for both Twitter and Instagram. It's Mish Bisk. So that's M I C H B I S C, as in Michelle. Okay. Michelle. So you could follow Michelle today. She was out having DeFara's Pizza, which is considered <laughs> the greatest pizza in the world. And Dom, the guy who makes the pizza, was there. He was there. They took their little Vespa or whatever they're riding around yep. in there. I have a Vespa. And uh, <laughs> I think Simone picked up a goat or a donkey or whatever at <laughs> some meat store. That's okay. That's what they're going to have for dinner tonight. Um, and what about Blue Hill? Website or? Blue Hill is www.bluehillfarm.com. Uh, and on, on Instagram and Twitter as well, it's at Blue Hill Farm. And you, we talked about the wine list. You can go online, see the yep, wine list, it's on the way the Michelle website. lays it out by style and the descriptions and all that, and the type of wines. And you know what? When you go on a wine, when you go on a site like that, look at the wine list. There's a lot of inspiration there. Because don't forget, when you look at the prices, those are restaurant prices. If you can imagine finding those wines retail, and not all of them are available. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're less, and mm-hmm. you know, there's some great wines. But we also talked about, you know, some other wines. So I want to thank you, Michelle, for coming in, and I want to thank our engineer Vitor and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to the Grape Nation. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.